what is crackalacking? It's your Oof. boys, Jay and Josh, back at you again with another episode of the not Reckon Righteous podcast, but the Thoughtful Christianity podcast. That that was quite the trendy intro we got there. I what don't is know crack-a-lacking? if it's trendy or if it's the most like 1990s hip hop dance video collab. Well, we are expression. That, I mean, that's what so. we that's what we do. We're a hip hop dance collab Christian thought podcast, right? Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. So that's what the people are here for. <laughs> that's what they're here for. So Jay, what's going on? How you doing? Um, good. Um, just you know, enjoying a leisurely Sunday afternoon. I have some spicy thoughts, I guess, prepared for mm. today's conversation. But yeah, I, I can't complain. I got to spend some time up in Maryland this weekend visiting mm. a certain young lady. A but, certain young lady. Hmm. Yeah. How about yourself? That's good. You know, we went to church today and then we went and saw the cousins. Got to pet a little tiny kitten, which, oh, so cute. Oh my gosh. I love cats and I love kittens. And I stand by that. I mean, that Oof. that is hot takes early in this hot episode. I'm a cat person. I mean, <sighs> dogs are nice. Yeah. But no, cat. I'm a cat person. And mm. that kitten was phenomenal. And I love that they named it. What's the guy's last name? It's Norman Borlaug. 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 Which is an B-O-R-L-O-G. agronomist. Uh, and it's a girl cat named uh, Norman, which I, I think is really cute. Uh, actually, uh, the cousin who owns the cat, she was just telling me she listens to the podcast. So quick shout out to her. Uh, yeah. We, we like your, I like your cat. And I, uh, I'm glad that you listen. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so enough enough cat talk. Enough enough cat talk. Enough banter. This is yeah. This maybe this is a, re- a recurring segment. Josh's cat corner. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the worst thing <laughs> that it could be. Anyways, perhaps we should get into things here. I'm I'm excited. This is a this is a big topic. I mean, it, it's kind of everything, right? I mean, it literally everything funnels into this point. Yeah, I'm, I, th- I was thinking about that too. Uh, and some of my notes I was taking before we recorded, like this is kind of like the clincher, right? Like this is like the... The closer. Precisely. And so for those that maybe are wondering what we're talking about, this is the conclusion of our series on the solas. SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. Yeah, and that is to the glory of God alone. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard that this was what uh, Bach and Handel wrote on the bottom of their sheets? The SDG, right? Yeah. And that's As not a, a no wise tale. That actually is true, which is cool. Because a lot of this stuff is like just, you know, fake history. <laughs> but like, no, that's true. So wait, are you telling me that they were Christian Christian artists? Yeah, they're actually at one point in time were these this blend of, of Christian and art. No more, no more. But at that point, there were. Wow, what a concept. Yeah, Handel's Messiah is actually really cool. I feel like we've talked about this before, but it's uh, a guy wrote a book, a booklet, which is essentially a defense of Christ from the Old Testament. Uh, And no one read it because no one cares, Uh, which I feel like if I write a book, I'm going to get that exact reaction, (laughs) which is probably why I don't write one at this point. But Nobody cared, right? It was like, okay, whatever. You wrote this book. No one cares. No one knows who you are. And so he goes to Handel and he begs him, put it to music. 
And Handel puts it to music, this defense of who Christ is from the Old Testament. And that is the Messiah. That's Handel's Messiah. Gloria to God in the highest, which is actually related to what we're talking about today, today is literally Gloria in Excelsis Dea, right? Glory to God in the highest. Man. So that's that's a little fun insert There's, there. But yeah, Josh's history corner. Mm-hmm. I have so many corners. Soon I'll have four. I'll have a whole house or a whole room. Or a box. Or a box, yes, depending on how much space we want to give me. So let's go ahead and get into it. Jay, you know what the first question is going to be because it is our favorite. What is glory? And I know that this is this is one that you didn't think about too deeply, uh, which I find hilarious because we literally ask this question every single week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so, we d- you know, we didn't ask what is Christ. So maybe you were off one week. And we didn't ask what our stories were. So, you know, you've had a little bit of a break from it. Regardless, we talk about glory in this context, right? Like we are saying, I think about like the words like majesty and like mm. splendor, right? And that like when you behold, like, like thinking about like beholding God, you think about God, like yeah. these are attributes that like describe him, like, like overwhelming. I think about Isaiah, right? He says like, you know, I am a man of unclean lips. Like, you, you can't help but like fall down on the ground and talks about how we're not even able to like look at God because he's too, yeah. too holy, right? And maybe there's probably some more to be said there, but. I, I think it's just nuance, right? That is the meat of it. I think you said exactly what I say. So I have a definition that has a semicolon, but before the semicolon, right? The, like the, the phrase in itself is glory is God's intrinsic Godness. Mm. It's God being God, Right. And I stole that from your boy, John Piper, of course, because he, you know, there's like a buzzword for John Piper. Now it's kind of Christian hedonism and joy. But like really the meat of like his sermons throughout the years has been glory, 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 glory. So he's got really good stuff on that. Um, my definition is God's intrinsic godness. It is the total worthiness of who he is displayed and demanding acknowledgement. And then I made a note that it's very deeply linked with holiness and his name, like the concept of his name. And then also, like you noted in Isaiah, the word glory is mentioned, but holy is the one that's really, really emphasized. I found it interesting. Isaiah 6, 3, holy, 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 the lamb be filled with her glory, right? Or thy name be... Hold on, let me look it up because I, I don't want to be one of those bozos who gets the scriptures wrong. You have a podcast, Josh. You can't get the scriptures wrong. That's holy, right. holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So holy, holy, holy is he and the glory, which again, it's tying those concepts together. This is like God's godness. It's It's who he is, right? Yeah. And I think like, I think displaying is part of that, right? It seems to me that a lot of times glory is tied to this idea of God displaying who he is to the world or through the world, right? Like it's it's God on display maybe is, is a good way of thinking of it. Yeah, and I, I think maybe to tie some of this together, like the idea of holiness being kind of like that set apartness, yeah. right? To give people maybe a better understanding. Um, yeah. That idea that like, the the creator and the creature distinction, right? Like God is like fundamentally different than we are as humans, even though 
we are made in his image, right? And like his yeah. creation can reflect his glory. Fundamentally, he's not like humans on steroids, quote unquote. Right? Like he's like something mm-hmm. completely different. I think that's a good distinction to make. Like God is not just us plus infinity. Like he is himself. There's no adding to us to get to being God. We're a different ontological, which means in essence thing. I defined before you could call me, but I know you're <laughs> going to call me on some of these things today, I think. Oh yeah. So that brings to a question, Jay. Mm. We talk a lot about giving glory to God and glorifying God. So are you saying that I can add or take away from God's glory? I can add or take away from God's godness? You're in some deep theological waters here, buddy. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if I ever said that because that's um, <laughs> no. I'm not putting words case. in your mouth. Yes, <laughs> um, clearly am. But um, yeah, so fundamentally, right? Um, and you could probably unpack this better than I can. But God doesn't necessarily need our help mm. in making Himself, uh, you know, it, 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 in showing His glory, and like you know, we can't do anything to diminish His godness. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you will yeah but it's our privilege we get to mm, we are gonna get to that concept i am sure it's funny i feel like sometimes in our podcast you'll give a definition and then i'll like give mine and it's like oh like josh clarified and i don't clarify anything i just give i think maybe prettier words or words i stole from old dead people so here's mm-hmm. the words i stole from old dead people God's ascribed glory and God's intrinsic glory. So God is intrinsically, meaning in and of himself, gloried. He is glorious. And whether or not, if everyone in the world, there was an entire blackout of praising God and no one did, and even nature ceased to praise God, he wouldn't actually change an iota, right? He wouldn't move in any way. But we're saying that also, so that's part of my definition. I really, I'm happy with my definition is, so his godness is displayed and it demands acknowledgement. So if his godness is total worthiness, then when we see someone totally worthy, we, we must respond. And that's ascribed glory. We are, we are just saying, uh, there's a verse that I really like that I wanted to reference Man, I, I don't want to get her miss it. I'm trying to think of which one it was, but I'll, I'll just tell you to save time, right? Is uh, a scri- Oh, it's Psalm 96. That's right. Psalm 96 is going to be dope for us today. Uh, big fan. Hold on. I hope Alex keeps in the sound of me turning my pages because that just shows you paper Bible right here. It lends mm. a lot of uh, credence and legitimacy. Yes, I'm not pulling this out of nowhere. I'm pulling it out of my Bible. Psalm 96, Jay, you're going to love this. Psalm 96, uh, the whole thing, right? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, right? So there's that mandate that all of the earth must praise God. uh, Sing to the Lord, bless his name. There's his name, which is very much a concept of his intrinsic glory. Tell of his salvation from day to day, which links his, his works with his glory. And I'm going to stop commenting and just give you the verses now. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And here's my point. Uh, I just wanted to read all of it because it's amazing. But here's my point is, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And here's really the kicker. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So ascribe glory is just giving, recognizing what is due, what, what he he deserves praise. So gl- ascribe glory is just giving praise because he deserves it because of his intrinsic glory. Uh, maybe Maybe by going in depth like I did made it more confusing rather than less. But I hope that, you, you know, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of the first couple of chapters of CSS, C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. Ooh, where it talks an interesting about book. How, you know, when you come across like something that's really, really good, you just have this urge to like enjoy it or like savor it or like appreciate it, right? Like, if you have like a really good steak for dinner, like you're like, you mean like you want to like, you feel like you're you, an obligation, like, oh, I need to like enjoy it. It's like, wow, like this is really good. Like in some cases you can't help but say that, right? Like, oh man, like this is like, this is great. Right. Or like a sunset, like, oh gosh, like that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you just, and you feel like you just need to like take a second and be like, oh wow, like that's really, like that's worth savoring, worth enjoying, worth remembering, worth appreciating. And I think that's the point we're trying to make about God, right? Like, yeah. When you rightly understand who he is and his attributes and his godness, to use your mm-hmm. phrase, like I think the same kind of reaction stir- should be stirred within us. Yeah. I guess that like, that leads me to the question. So if, if God's glory is his godness displayed – or it's also like this demand that he he, de- he rightly demands to be praised. What are we talking about when we say to God's glory alone? You know, that's kind of a weird thing to say is, is to God's glory alone. I guess maybe this has something to do with like the other solas, right? They're all alone statements. So how does that, how do they all play together, I guess? Um. So when we look at the other solas, like, a lot of them have to do with like salvation, right? Yeah, like the prime three, right? Solus yes. Christus, Soli Fide, and Sola Gratia. And so when we look at salvation and God's work in that, like we understand that even that, even salvation is a gift from Him, right? And it's mm-hmm. something that is, it's His work, right? And it, it's not our own i guess the way to put it is like we don't cooperate mm-hmm. with his grace necessarily like it's it's evident like we, we gosh i'm gonna do a bad job of explaining this no i think but you're doing great don't lose heart we yeah like it's salvation is not of ourselves essentially and mm-hmm. because of that all glory is due to him like we didn't mm-hmm. it's not like well i responded to the gospel message because I'm a morally better person. And even if, that, yeah. even if that was the case, that's only because God, you made you that way, but that's not the case. Right. And say, or same thing with like intellectual, like, Oh, like, the only reason I responded, I responded to the gospel and believed in Jesus because I'm smarter than maybe mm-hmm. other people that didn't, that didn't. Yeah. But even again, that these are, these are false arguments. Yeah. You know, we understand that salvation is a gift from God for his own glory. 
And I mean, that's what, you know, this in one of the key passages we've studied throughout our, our Sola series has been Ephesians 2, right? And it says, like, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Sorry, I started the wrong place. Uh, 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, right? Why is it not? Why is it sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus? So that none may boast. Uh, which, again, I think it leans to what you were saying with glory, is uh, God gets all the uh, all the praise from this because he's the only one who did it and achieved it. I want to throw something at you that's a little bit of a sideball off of this, which is, is his motivation his own glory? I know that most Christians I've met, at least in the way they talk, and, and let's be honest, most most people are not thinking about consistency when they speak. Uh, maybe they should, but they, they don't. So I'm not saying everyone believes this, but most Christians, the way they speak, Christ came to earth to save us because he loves us. Uh, and he wants us to be, and he cares for us, and he wants us to be happy and whole and go to heaven. Uh, and his, so, so we would say his primary motivation is love for us. John Piper hits on this song all the time, but like a rose trampled on the ground, he thought of me above all. So my question is, what is God's primary objective in salvation? His own glory. If you want to be so bold. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah. And I think you're right. Like, while I don't think many Christians would outright say like, oh, like, it's because like I am deserving of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes I think it can be reflected, right? That, like, this idea like, oh, well, like, God's doing this for me. And like, in a sense, yeah. he is doing it to you, but... It, you know, it's not just to make you happy or like yeah. content or whatever. Again, so that ultimately his name is furthered or he is glorified and yeah. his own glory by displaying his power, right? Because we talked about this last week. He was the only one that could have done it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I mean, you, I agree with you that most Christians wouldn't say it outright, but you see it a lot, right? Yeah, God is acting primarily for his own glory. That is a big statement. That is that is a hefty statement and, and one that I don't think sits well with some people. Uh, the reason I would foresee that it wouldn't sit well is it seems like, I don't know, if God's just doing it for himself, then like I'm, I'm chopped liver, right? I don't, I don't matter. You know, he was just doing it to show like, you know, if I being a sinful human being and therefore not comparable to God, like save a cat from a tree so that people see how good of a person I am. I'm I'm doing it from bad motivation. I'm I'm a sinner. But God saves Jay Broom to show his righteousness uh, and his justness and his mercy and his grace and his fairness and his beauty. It's not the same, but why is it not the same, I guess? You know, that's what we had to chew through because there's the objection, ob- objection right there. Yeah. That was something I had noted. I was like, you know, the the skeptic says like, well, isn't that awfully selfish of God? Yeah. Right. I think we have to go back to what we said earlier. We can't view God through the lens of, well, he's just like me, except a little bit better. Mm. Right. Yeah. No, like because he's fundamentally different. We understand that 
because he's God, he is the only one that's truly worthy of praise and like being glorified because he's again, like infinitely holy. And so it's, it's almost hard to explain. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I feel like you kind of have to rest in the words will fail me at some point kind of place. I mean, I guess what my stab at is just what's the definition of glory according to me? And I think according to the Bible is total worthiness. So if he's totally worthy of all praise, then any action he takes to achieve all praise, I mean, is fitting, right? And especially, I mean, he, he displays it in salvation and love and, and he displays all the goodness of his character. He has no badness of his character. And so it's a wonderful thing that in salvation, he displays who he is. I think that that is something Christians must wrestle with, is that God is for God before he's for you. You know, uh, a lot of churches do the whole for whatever city they're in. I mean, the church that I attend right now has that hashtag for Chesapeake, right? Which is great. I mean, our church wants to be outreach and evangelizing and caring and supplying needs, preaching the gospel. And we believe God wants that for us, right? But God is not for Chesapeake before he is for God. He is for God first. Um, So that doesn't invalidate that. That's why I use the word primary, right? I wanted Mm -hmm. to be very specific and use the word primary motivation. Because you might see in Ephesians 2, where we actually, my Bible's already open to, is that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. He did love us. He loves his people. And he's going to save them for his glory. Yeah, no, that's a, again, a good point to make. I think we have a tendency to either not fully understand that a lot of times Christians or warp that understanding. Yeah, it makes it a me-centered uh, gospel, and it's not. Yeah. He's vindicating his righteousness. Uh, and just to give a proof there, uh, and this is going to be a proof text because we don't have time to go through every text, but Romans uh, 3 is a good helpful one there. So let me just flip there and read it. I'm not going to, I don't have time to go through it, unfortunately. Starting in 24, in the middle of a sentence, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's all good. We all get that. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So God vindicates his own character in salvation. He shows, I am absolutely righteous. Watch me punish my son for your sins. I am absolutely merciful. Watch me forgive you by dying myself. Yeah, so that's just a proof text. Uh, We don't have time to go through it all. It's a meaty passage. Anytime you go into Romans, you're uh, at risk of getting caught in the weeds, even though it's all not weeds. It's all wonderful fruit and abundance, but it's still difficult to get out. And if I may slide in that little passage in there. uh, Go for it. From one of our favorite sermons to reference. uh, The Psalm 23, right? I almost said that too. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. So that's a passage that. You know, it's 
clearly like showing it like these are the things that God does for me, right? And that mm-hmm. it can, I think, be contorted into this idea that it's just like, you know, like God does all these things for me, but why does he do them? Ultimately, he doesn't for his own name's sake. Yeah. I think it's important to realize. I wonder how many verses would come up if we typed in to a search bar for like Logos or whatever you use for my name's sake or even just name's sake. Because there's so many, like when I read through the Bible two years ago, I was amazed at how often that comes up, right? Ezekiel 36, uh, one of my favorite, I reference this chapter all the time, especially when I'm preaching or teaching throughout First Peter, because it hits on exile. It's like, we think of like, oh my gosh, God brought the people of Israel back from exile. Like that's this beautiful, redemptive moment. It's very salvific seeming. And in Ezekiel 36, God says, I'm not doing this because of your righteous works. I'm doing this because you profane my name among the nations. I do it for my name's sake. So even the return from exile was God vindicating his name. Uh, Isaiah 43, I like this one a lot. Everyone who is called by not by my name, so again, called by my name, name comes up a lot, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So election and creation of God's people is for his glory. Uh, and even in the same chapter, I found another one. Man, this one, this is poignant. I, I probably should, I think, you know what? I don't know. Do you have this moment where you read through a passage and you find one verse and you're like, I probably should spend a day and just think about this. And and rarely do we ever, but sometimes that happens to me. So this is one. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So really cool passage, Isaiah 43. But I mean, we've belabored this point, but we have to, you know, we have to, because I, I don't know, this is not preached. I didn't get exposed into this stuff. I mean, like when John Piper first hit me with his online sermons, this was my like eyes opening to God is for God, which is the name of Matt Chandler's sermon at Code Orange, ironically enough, which uh, was was actually an in-joke today. uh (laughs) on our text but i mean yeah god is for god and that's glorious that's wonderful you know i have a question that just came to my mind and it's not written on my sheet of questions to ask you uh i've actually been asking you a lot of questions this podcast i don't know if you noticed been hammering these questions at you i guess my question and maybe it's not a good question uh, and that's probably why it's not written down is how should we feel about that like, what what should be our response to God being for God? Is that something that we should be neutral towards? Obviously, we shouldn't hate him for it or, like, be negative towards it because it's God. But, like, I don't know. Is there a I, – I want to always be looking for reasons to rejoice. Is this a reason to rejoice? Uh, and I don't have an answer. So, so hopefully you do. <laughs> or let's think of one, maybe. A reason to rejoice. I mean – Is that God is for God. Yeah, because I think these passages outline that God does these acts for his own glory because, I mean, it's it's his nature, right? Because he is great and he is merciful 
and he is loving mm-hmm. and powerful. Like because he is all all these things, these actions that he does point back to himself, right? Because again, they're like the ultimate measure and ultimate standard of these traits. And so, yeah. again, like it's, I think, yeah, we, we should respond with like with reverence. It's almost like beautiful. I mean, yeah, he's showing like, us the most beautiful thing on earth, which is him. Exactly. Right. Because if we were to like try and do these things for our own glory, like we realize like that's, that's, it's, it's selfish, right? Because why is that selfish? Because like, I am not worthy of putting myself on a pedestal, right? Like, because I am in trend, like I, I am a sinner, right? Even if I've been redeemed, I, I still am like bound by the, like, I still live in the flesh, right? Yeah. So like, we realize that like, you know, I, it's not good to elevate myself and make myself glorified because I'm not worthy, right? So again, like, I think when we see this, what are, I mean, is it, is it, is it a relief? Like, oh, like there is someone worthy of glory, yeah. It's not me. It's God. And he shows us that. We like try as we might, again, humans are never going to be at his level. We can accomplish glorious things. Right? And I want to get into this a little bit more too. Okay. Because, yeah. Well, we got time. Yeah, when you talk about what it, what does it mean to to glorify God, that's a question mm. we're coming around to. But Oh, it's coming. Yeah, again, I think again, rather than an idea of like selfish that we might tend to attribute to him it's a good thing you know what okay so i love your answer by the way poignant powerful good maybe i want to add to it no i think no it was <clears throat> sometimes i feel like you don't give enough clout to some of the things you say i've definitely learned a lot from it i was thinking of a second reason not one to replace the first but a second reason to rejoice sure is that I mean, I'm just thinking if glory, so John Piper, and I agree with him, and I think the Bible hits this on the head over and over and over again, is that glory is displayed. Glory is is this idea of God is so glorious, meaning he's so content in himself and in his godness, the triune God, right? Every single person full of love, full of goodness, fully displaying and, and seeing the glory of each other member. Uh, it's this amazing thing. And so they create the world. And it is not out of need, but it is the overflow of glory. So I'm just setting the scene, right? Would you agree mm-hmm. with that? I know that that can be a little bit iffy, you know, God created the war for this. God created the war for this. And I think God created it not out of any need, but because he had an overflow of glory and he wanted to display it to his creation and display yes. it through his creation. So he set, set that up. If glory is God displaying the goodness of his character, we should be delighted that God prioritizes that because that means we get to see more of it. If God prioritized me, you know what we'd see more of? Josh Starr. And I can promise you the depths of sin in Josh Starr are not worth glorifying or seeing more of. But if God prioritizes God, that means that he is displaying his glory in every avenue possible. That means he's actively jealous to make sure that his glory, his goodness, mercy, let's talk, let's remind each other what the character of God, the godness is, the mercy, wrath, righteousness. I wouldn't even actually say wrath because wrath is contingent. It's mercy, righteousness, goodness, love, uh, self-content joy in himself, beauty, holiness, right? All these wonderful things. 
by God prioritizing his glory, he prioritizes displaying his wonderful, his excellencies, as Peter would call it, to the world. So that's this grand thing. I, I don't know. I love your answer and I love what I had in mind. I think that, that that both are so true of God and I'm so grateful. I think there is a reason to rejoice. I'm glad I asked that because I had not thought of that beforehand. Should we move to what you were, you were transitioning that. to? Yeah, I think, so, I think so. Right. Because I think we've talked about to the glory of God alone. Right. But like, so maybe yeah. like the question would be for people like, how do I live that out practically? Yeah. Right. It's if just God honest. is for God, how do I be for God? Precisely. Right. Just again, the idea that I am going, like, does that mean I walk around and spend all my days like singing hymns? Like, you know what I mean? I just, I don't get a job. I just sing hymns all day because I want to glorify God. Right. And like, what's better than singing? Well, I, I think that's a good question. I wonder if it, if one of the first clarifying thoughts we should say is what is it? Actually, you brought it up. This I know this is where you were trying to lead me. And you know what? Like a lamb to the slaughter, I headed right towards it without even thinking. But I'm glad I did. Is what acts are considered glorifying God? Because the way you phrased it was clever. Like, oh, should I just go around singing praises all day? As if verbally ascribing glory to God is the exclusive monopoly on how to praise God or glorify him. So Jay, I mean, this is where you wanted us to go. This is your turf. What do you got to say? Hit me with it. Oh my gosh, you just turned this whole thing around on me. Got him. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, You're in treacherous waters now. So let's see. I mean, I think about obedience, right? Is a, a big way that you can be glorifying God, right? Like literally doing what he says, living by yeah. his word, right? And that it's, you know, these are a lot of like moral teachings that you see in the world. And I think there's an important distinction to make between those, right? That doesn't mean just, hey, like, you know, go say nice things to people, right? Like, hey, when you tell your coworker, like, you did a good job, right? Like, that's something that non-believers can do too. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not just moral stuff, right? But like, let's see, big picture stuff. Being a member of a church, right? Go, attending corporate worship, fellowshiping with other believers, and like, you know, participating in corporate worship, you know, reading his word, praying to him, yeah. asking him for what you need. Evangelism. Evangelism. Well, I think First Thessalonians 4 is a good, it, it kind of sums up some of the things you're saying with obedience is, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, which I think pleasing God and glorifying God are, are synonyms with nuance. Very close to the same, but not the same. Uh, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Here it is, such a powerful moment. For this is the will of God. So Paul set it up that the will of God is something that you walk and something that pleases God, something that you do more and more, and it's the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Four things. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So in learning to please God more and more, you also do the things that please God more and more, which is obedience to him in holiness, right? What does sanctification mean except for growth in holiness, uh, a, a closer walk with thee? So yeah, I think you're right on. That's a, that's a good place to start. So now I have a question for you here. Oh man. How much does intention matter in this, right? Because I guess I can speak for myself, right? Like sometimes I do things and 
motivation is so I like look good, even though these are mm-hmm. like, hey, like me being honest or me saying something nice or being respectful. But like, does it matter? Like, I'm being obedient, right? I'm like, I'm doing something the Bible teaches, but like, I'm doing it for myself. Like, does that count? Does that not count? Is that like 50% half credit? Like, I think that you're, you're saying some words that I'd like to address. Credit, count. Those are the two target words, right? When I was uh, doing some college ministry, you know, whenever you're teaching and you hear something that you know, you're like, I, I know what to say to that. Like, it's, you get ready to pounce. Does it count is my favorite. And by that, I mean it's my least favorite. <laughs> um, because people would read their Bible and they would ask me, okay, well, I read one verse. Does that count? Or I read it, but I really didn't apply it to my, does that count? Like all of these things for does it count? My answer is always the same is what counting towards what? <laughs> I don't understand. What, is, what are you trying to credit? What are you trying to count towards? If you're asking, is this progress in sanctification? I would say, no, it seems like stagnation. If your motives aren't constantly growing in affection for the Lord, then that's stagnation. But I don't think we can always judge individual events, to be honest. I don't know if we can always do that. Sometimes we can, right? So like if I do this podcast today and literally my only goal is so that the people who listen, the five people who listen will think, man, Josh knows his Bible pretty well. I honestly think that's a sin, Like Jesus told us that our thoughts can be sins as much as our actions in the Sermon on the Mount. But I also don't think we can always determine. uh, J.C. Rowe, I'm reading Holiness of God, and I know I've babbled for a little bit, but this is probably good. Holiness. Not Holiness of God. That's R.C. Sproul. Yes, J.C. Rowe, which my sister mixes up, which is maybe why I just mixed it up. He argues, and I agree with him, that every act of goodness that we do, every holy act we do, until the day we are glorified, will in fact be tainted by some false motivations. You don't have a single, completely, totally pure act. Yikes. There's a reason holiness is one of the highest recommended books by some of the Christians that we respect the most is because, I mean, he he doesn't care about he cares to address things, but he doesn't care if like it's not popular to say something. Just because it's unpopular doesn't mean it's untrue. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I guess my – I've been babbling because you it's asked a me a question. It's your it, tendency. That's why. Yeah, it, it is my tendency. But it's funny. You know, I feel like a lot of times I'm the one asking questions, meaning that the people listening to the podcast haven't really heard what it sounds like for me to think. I feel like at this point you're used to it, is that for me to think – means for me to shove a bunch of words out of my mouth and then at the end of it that's my answer <laughs> so uh, jc ryle that's a good point is that w- our motivations will never be completely pure and so we can't count it all on our motivations but at the same time i think that the topic today is the topic of motivations what you do no matter what it is your motivation your p- if God's primary motivation and salvation and in everything is his own glory, then yours ought to be as well. And sanctification will look like you loving and desiring that more and more. Part of sanctification will look like you desiring that more and more. I guess to answer your question finally, <laughs> yes, Jay, motivations matter. I think that in general, they matter more than actions because 
rarely will you ever find a motivation that isn't accompanied by action, but often you'll find actions not accompanied by motivations. If I genuinely love God and I'm full of it, right? Like at this moment, like I just am beholding the glory of Christ and amazed by his salvation, I will probably be more obedient. Like It's unlikely that I would just have that, that motivation to do good and then not do it. But man, dude, I, I, I mean, we both know we, we can go through the motions so often. So I think motivation matters quite a lot. And it's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 10.34 uh, if I ever find it, here it is, or 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the motivation, is that what you're doing will honor God. Is that an answer? I think so. Maybe another piece of that, but is it, is it more, does it sometimes seem to be more than just intention, right? Like, mm-hmm. does it mean that like, when you get 100 on your test, in school, like, does that mean when you get it, your test back, you have to be like, this is to the glory of God, stand up in front of the class, right? And like, show your paper, like, do I have to do that? Like, do I have to make it explicit? Do I have to say it? So that people I don't think you always know? have to. Not, not always, though. I think that often we sh- these are great moments to evangelize, but we don't evangelize every moment. I, I think that it should be explicit to you. You shouldn't, you should know. One thing that I am often aware of is my propensity to not glorify God, even though I know that an action, if I do the thought work, I know an action goes back to God, right? So I've been running 5Ks every three times a day, uh, three times a week, right? You know, that's just been my, my health regimen recently. If I break a PR, which I have yet to do uh, during this time, I don't have to glorify God. I I mean, we're not denying that I actually ran it, right? Like me physically ran it. And at any time I could have given up, but I didn't. And I did something good, right? I, you know, I did. I, I ran. But if you do the thought work, God is sovereign over the events. God chose to give me strength in my body, health, air to breathe, He didn't take me off the earth. He created me in the first place. He created this environment in which to run. He created uh, humans in a way that we can enjoy the exhilaration of running. Uh, Most people won't probably get that, but I've discovered (laughs) an exhilaration in running. Yeah, who Uh, runs? Weirdo. Yeah, come on, track star. Um, But (laughs) oh, I'm like wearing track shirts. So of course you are. Uh, No, but like that's my point, right? Is that doing the thought work brings you the glory of God every time, but you have to do the thought work, right? So an example of a hundred on a test. Well, first you could think of, wow, I attend a school. That's amazing. I can read. You know many, I can read, right? Do you know how many people didn't have a school and didn't read? They're like, I'm intelligent. Like God has given me a brain that can think about things critically and can know them and can retain them. I have memories. What a fantastic, amazing, untapped thought is how deeply God's designed our brains, right? And I think that meditations like that lead to really glorifying God. So I guess my answer to that is just, yeah, I think that you should be more explicit, at least to yourself. You should be more careful about tracing things back to the glory of God. And I I think the Bible does that. 
So Ephesians 5, right? I, I'm really grateful to my pastor in Wake Forest because when he preached through Ephesians 5, he was really, really, it was just some some of the greatest exposition I've seen recently, uh, maybe ever. Uh, and he points out that in, in children obeying your, let me find it. Children obey your parents for this is in the Lord, for this is right. And he points out like, in the Lord, what does that even mean? And and I think he constructs and he, he finds it in a different areas, which is I think it's really su- supported. But like your obedience, your obedience to your father and mother, it can be traced back to your obedience to the Lord. Like you are obeying them in your obedience to the Lord. Because the, and why do we think that that's true about this passage? Because the next passage, uh, the next section says, "Honor your father and mother." This is the first commandment with the promise. So why do you obey your parents? Because God commanded you to obey him and he commands you to obey your parents. Uh, so like things like that, you know, we, we obey because we, we're obeying God first mm-hmm. and obeying God brings glory to him. That's good. Good <laughs> answer. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, and I guess maybe you kind of hit on this, like the idea, like by tracing back even our own accomplishments to like God's providence is a way that we can, yeah kind of build like a, a so like a habit of giving glory to him yeah pray the lord's prayer every every day if, if you want to learn how to praise god and and actually be concerned about his glory pray the lord's prayer every day thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven like that's the simplest way honestly when i did that i prayed the lord's prayer every day for like three months at one point i genuinely was deeply aware of wanting god's glory to be displayed throughout the world much more than probably even today so i honestly probably should go back to that practice yeah i mean i think maybe just the point maybe i want to make sure we add is like the idea that it's not just like self-contained either yeah that's where i was trying to push it to okay because like i think about like ephesians 5 where it talks about like slaves like serve your masters and like work hard as if serving the lord Mm -hmm. right it's like the idea that like working hard and like doing something well right is glorifying to god right like yeah the idea that again it's not just the rec- like thinking to yourself and like coming to that realization but like also again like there's like ways you can do it publicly right like i think about maybe this is like the ultimate like cliche christian example <laughs> right but like tim tebow when he, like he wins the heisman trophy in college right where he's like the first thing he does when he gives it is like yeah. First thing I want to do was like thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? Like, I think you know, like, that, like there's a public way to do this too. Oh, and I think that that's maybe even more the point. Yes. So I I wrote this article one one day, and probably in arrogance, I thought like this is a this is like a world changing like bomb. Like this is just gonna everyone knock them all dead. This is gonna be good. Uh, I thought, and because it was important, it's an important topic. And I don't think it was. I don't think the stats were that great. And honestly, maybe I should revisit. And I think I think it deserves an edit, probably. But the concept is so important, so biblical. Psalm 117, right, is what I'm I was teaching on. And it's essentially this idea that all of the nations must worship the Lord. God demands praise from every single mouth. Every single one. And therefore, what are we doing when we're evangelizing? What is missions? Missions is trying to achieve world glory for God, right? Like first Peter, the, the entire thing is 
in your obedience, in your words, in your conduct, I want you to display your love for Christ. Your, I want to just, you to display how you glorify Christ so that others might glorify Christ. Yeah, uh, that, that's like one of the pinnacles of evangelism is, hey, your mouth, it must, it must worship the Lord. It yeah. must. Like, I think, again, like evangelism is just like, it comes from like, yeah, the overflow. Like, you know, you are like convinced that this is like something you like, you must do, right? It's so important that you, like, it's not just like, I'm content to like, let me do it. Like, I yeah. need you to do it too, because like, this is like what you have to do. Yeah. And I mean, that's the reason we're here, you know? So it's, Jay, can you believe this? In a topic on Soli Deo Gloria, we didn't mention mention Westminster Catechism of Faith, uh, not conf- cate- Westminster Longer Catechism number one. What is the chief aim of man? To glorify God and to enjoy, enjoy him, him forever. forever. Absolutely. First Peter 2, 9, right? Which is one of my favorites. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why are you those things? Why doesn't God zap you into heaven when you get saved? Because, I mean, think about it. Like, that's the most logical thing. Yeah. The world is gross and disgusting. It's full of mud. And God cleans you completely and then puts you back in the world of mud? Why? Why not just glorify us? Well, why? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, this is amazing. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right? That's it. Why are Christians on the earth? So that we can proclaim his excellencies so that on the day of visitation, the day of the Lord, those who are not saved will, would be saved by us proclaiming and by our conduct and they themselves would glorify God. I mean, what an, what an amazing passage, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like the Old Testament is like full of this idea, right? Where it's like yeah. Israel like does something like, you know, God leads them to victory in battle or like they just, they, you know, they do something. And the nations around them, even if they don't believe in like, not like, you know, they're always not the chosen, God's chosen people, quote unquote, right? Like they might look at Israel and say like, they worship a holy God. They worship the right God. Yeah. Yeah. Like through like, again, it's like through like their actions of that group that even the outsiders are like, they have that recognition. Yeah. And, and that's the crazy thing is that so often in Israel's history before the, uh, before Solomon, because unfortunately... Solomon splits the empire, uh, and it's all downhill from there. Israel, these these people didn't abandon their gods, and yet they said the Yahweh fights for Israel until we won't fight them. So what are they saying? So they they haven't abandoned their gods. The Bible is very clear that these nations still hold they they worship Baal, they worship Asherah, they worship uh, what's a Molech, the the child burning god. They still worship these things, right? And yet they still say, these people worship Yahweh. We don't want to fight them. They'll slaughter us. So what they're saying is, we have these gods and they're puny compared to Yahweh. Yahweh is glorious and our gods, 
not so much. And Elijah tries to display that to Israel, right? Uh, we were just talking about this passage. He says, if Yahweh's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. And then he goes and proceeds and shows and demonstrates that Baal is nothing and God is God, displaying his glory. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Okay, let's bring it down from the stratosphere. God's glory deserves the highest and most profound language, the the most passionate tone, the most awestruck people. It just deserves so much that sometimes we get lost in the the, the light, right? And we we forget to say, all right, the guy who's working a nine to five, you know, he might talk to his neighbors about Christ, but like, you know, he's just he's just in the grind. And, you know, we're talking in these glorious terms and he's saying, tell me how to just please God right now. We got to take it down from the stratosphere and bring it back down to the boring office building or the coffee shop or wherever you're at. So how do we do that? So I think we've we've maintained a cosmic view and that's what you have to do when you're talking about God's glory. That's what every every Christian should have a cosmic view, view of God. This massive, he's not a tribal deity. He demands praise from all of the world, and he rightly demands praise from all the world. And all of his character is good. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Now you have to live. So how do you live? And obviously we're right at time, so this is like kind of more of an application point, if that wasn't clear from my question. I mean, I think it's like we've said, obedience and continued pursuit of sanctification mm-hmm. are like two very broad principles that you can apply to a number of yeah. areas of your own life. I think it's just the prioritization of, of God. God mm-hmm. comes first before you, before everyone else. That's difficult, but I think wrestling with that thought life is maybe more important than getting some of your actions in order first. First thing you do is you try and get that thought life of, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then give me thy daily bread. You know, glory first. And I don't know, maybe the way to, maybe the way I would encourage people is, Jay, how do you see God's glory? I think you see it in his word and in his son. I mean, right? If glory is God's self-revelation, then there's nothing more glorious than the word because it's literally a self-revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, there, and we're told in Hebrews 1, right? Isn't it uh, Hebrews 1 that's in Christ is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature? I believe that's Hebrews 1. You know, so I, I would say, yeah, again, quoting my pastor, look to Christ and look to the word that where Christ can be is told to you. All right. Well, I think it's I'm all tapped out. Yeah. Jay, this is the end of the solos. We've kind of trucked on these. It's been fun. First series first series done guys come back next week and figure out what's in store yeah i think i know know yet oh i think i do yeah Uh i know we've talked about it but i I don't want to say it because what if we disagree oh well we'll well. leave people guessing what will it be hmm all right we'll see you guys next week thoughtful christianity podcast